Monday, October 23rd, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. Hey, if you're planning a holiday party, and I was with our dear friend Sean Antonson of the Wall Center Friday at the Lions game, Blake, he said, uh, yeah. But a couple of our friends here who have reached out about planning a holiday party, mm. tis the season. Fantastic space here at the Wall Center, an iconic 34th, 34th floor meeting and reception space with beautiful sweeping views of the city. Call the hotel, 604-893-7370. Matt Sikaris alongside Blake Price, Greg Sass, hitting switches, conducting things. This show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group, celebrating 25 years right now at the Richmond Auto Mall. Infinity, you can lease the 20th. 23 QX50 from 3.49%. The 23 QX60 from 2.99%. Then at the Nissan dealerships, this is Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. The 23 Rogue financed from 3.99%. And you can lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99%. Because, Blake, it's all good at Applewood. That's why. Yeah. Bodog poll question today. And this is inspired by Canucks Twitter, who despite a 5-3 victory over the Florida Panthers this weekend, has been left angry by Dom decision of the <laughs> Athletic in his ranking. <laughs> Have we ever seen such unification? Oh, Quinn Hughes and comments about Quinn Hughes. People still seem to think Quinn Hughes is a poor defender. He's been on the ice for one goal all year. According to my spreadsheet and model. Oh, listen to you. Oh, but you, you're you a spreadsheet and model and analytics guy. I am. But your back is up now, huh? Well, I just don't like the quote that he used to his first story to get a scout's input. When the scout said, I don't know how good he is or like he wasn't familiar with the player. And then he, they decide to use that quote to rank him further down. It did not make any sense. It was a yes. wishy-washy quote. Yeah, it didn't fortify the opinion in any way. No, but also it's just flat wrong. Like, he's been a much better defender since that Canadian division season. He told us. He was embarrassed about the dash that year. He made a concerted effort to make sure he was better defensively from that season on, and he has been. Now, I understand that the lack of team success has held back the opinion league-wide on Quinn Hughes, Leas Pedersen, and other Canucks. And of course, some of that is just the late start times as well. So we're asking who's more disrespected around the league? Hughes, Miller, Pedersen, all of the above. You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day from me. The NBA season starts tomorrow. And if you like the Raptors to make the playoffs, why not try them in an exact seed? I think it's pretty safe to say there are four or five teams in the East that are better than the Raps. But the sixth seed, you can get them for plus 1,100. The seventh seed, plus 900. The eighth seed, plus 800 on your Bodog line of the day. The vitriol, by the way, on the Quinn Houston is a six-week-old article written by Dom LeCision in The Athletic. Mm-hmm. 
And he so it was the preseason rankings. Yeah. But you know, frankly, Blake, I, I I looked at the preseason player rankings across a broad spectrum. Certainly saw Dom's in the Athletic. Saw Greg Wyshynski's on ESPN. Saw the TSN top fifty. Saw the hockey news. We discussed Frank Corrado's list, and he had Pedersen and Hughes much, I'm not mistaken, higher than your average bear. And they still seem to be too far down the list for my liking. Well, he's, I mean, there's another guy that I think that, you know, a home base might be upset about. Shea Theodore is right beside Quinn Hughes. I've heard nothing but glowing reviews about Shea Theodore over the last couple of years, and he's down there with Hughes. Just watch him in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. Um, It's not so much, you know, where he is per se, but there's one tier above him. Like, he's below guys like Yossi and Darlene Mm -hmm. and Heiskin, which might rankle some people. It, the, the weird one is the tier in between those two groups. There's one tier that includes Hampus Lindholm, Jacob Slavin, and Devon Taves. And to me, that's the non-starter. Like, I'm I'm sorry, Quinn Hughes is better than those Quinn two. Quinn Hughes is not in that tier. He is a cut above. He's a cut above, and they've got him a cut below those mm-hmm. guys. Um, so again, never mind Darlene and Yossi and Heiskin and McAvoy, who are way up the rankings. It's mm-hmm. it's this, uh, but here's the other thing that you have to remember here, folks. And, and I see it's opinion, mm-hmm. it's opinion, and it's got you rankled up. Who cares? Well, Who I cares? think it also got them rankled though, because all sorts of athletic writers run to the defense right. of Lasitian, no, including it. Thomas. And I like and look adore Thomas, but but there's no right answer here, around folks. the league. It's a subjective thing. Yeah, around when the there league, is BS to be called out. It should be. Around the league, it is clear to me that Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes aren't as well regarded as they should be. You still have this trope about Hughes defensively. And I'm not necessarily sure that people understand just how great a player Elias is at both ends of the ice as a creator and as a finisher. He's an extremely smart hockey player. That much is clear. And look... And I don't mean this to uh, rankle the uh, few Dallas Stars listeners or fans who are listeners, but I see uh, Rope Hintz, and he's a damn fine player, don't get me wrong. He's not Elias Pettersson good. And I see PD ranked with the likes of him in sort of that next tier below the... He's above him, but within the same grouping, yes. Yeah. And I think some had Hintz ahead. Of Patterson in their preseason rankings. Well, interesting. Like Jack Hughes is two rungs above. Yeah, you know, like, like that. There's no there. There. Hughes is a great player. He's a loud player. Ninety nine point season, all that, or hundred point season, whatever he wound up with last year. But yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a tier better. But but here's the, here's the other thing to remember. All these. He's uh, got one ninety nine point year. All and the, yeah, first overall and coming into his own. And again. Great skater, fun to watch. But the, the problem with these rankings, when you get up to this point, it's sliced so thinly. Mm-hmm. Like the difference no, is, you know, like we're not talking strides ahead of these other players. All of these players are so good that when you're going to differentiate your opinion of who you think is better, that is sliced so thinly. Mm-hmm. And you're picking nits on guys who are have very few nits to pick. Right. You're almost manufacturing nits because you just want to try to differentiate one from the other. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to read an opinion piece where I've ranked these 20 guys together as the same. Right. Right? So, and the reason why, have you noticed how mm-hmm. many rankings are published by The Athletic like per day mm-hmm. in every sport? Oh, everybody loves a list Because these it gets people talking. It gets and people talking and engaged. It's exactly what's happening here. And I don't know that the authors half the time even really will go to the wall in their own heart of hearts for what they've ranked. They've been forced to rank, and they have ranked. But you, it, there's just no right answer. There isn't. It's a, their opinion pieces. And and even counting stats are not the be-all and end-all, as we well know. So you can't just point and say, there's the evidence. No, the evidence goes way beyond counting stats. And there's no right answer. Just opinion. I'm ranking days of the week. It's Friday, Saturday, Thursday in that order. Mm. And I'm taking no questions. Mm. I voted for Hughes on this poll. I think you can make a case for all of the above, but I I voted Hughes. You? Yeah, I think Hughes is is the, the best answer there. I think Pedersen's gotten more shine this offseason and an early start to the season than we have ever seen Pedersen before. is getting such a small percentage of the vote so, so far. Everybody so recognizes that. That... that the, the analysts league-wide are ahead of the game on Patterson compared to Hughes. Although but I, also, th- I still think you can... But even the non-analysts feel like I think the, the attention that Elliot Friedman gave to uh, Elias Patterson just before the season began sort of put like, you know, you have to watch where this guy's going because this is, this is a game-changing player. I think it sort of made people wake up to, oh, there's a game-changer out there in Vancouver. Can I tell you one thing I think has helped hmm. Elias's... Uh, Sure. Rating with the mm-hmm. those out of market, the fact that he's a free agent, and I think you have some fan bases looking at it, going like, "Ooh, we could put together a package for that guy." Now, of course, those packages will be Raymond Ballard in a third to start with, but <laughs> but he's not even a free agent, as Patrick Olveen would tell you. He's a free agent. We have two years. They have two years of yeah. club control, yeah. but I do think there's a lot of people looking in on this going, this could be the last year for Pedersen in Vancouver if the team shits the bed again. And if that's the case, prepare your offers because this guy may well be available if they're not in it by the deadline or by next summer or in the event that they can't get together on a contract extension. And on JT Miller, I think people know what JT Miller is now. I think... I think they yeah, but I a, still don't think they realize how productive he has been as a Vancouver Canuck. That, that might be true. The like, counting I think if, stats, you, like, I think if yeah. you ask, like, who's been a point per game player over the last three years, yeah. like, they would. He'll surprise you. Yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And a common response in our mentions right now is around the league, it would be Quinn, but around here, it's Miller, and it's that. Yeah. Miller's disrespected in Vancouver. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because people, uh, people well, don't some love people the just antics. don't like the antics. Some yeah. people don't like the personality. Right. Some people don't like the defensive play. Although. He's been very good this year, it must be said. Well, he's been very good under Rick Tockett, right? He's kind of got mm-hmm. through to him and really transformed him into a all-zone player in all situations. Although, al- although JT had started the transformation before Tockett. I mean, he arrived here and said full out, and the one thing you love about Miller is he's going to tell you the truth as he sees it. And the thing that he said when he arrived here, it was a big wake-up call for him. Coming off 13 goals in Tampa Bay. Knew he had to work harder. Knew he had to dedicate himself, rededicate himself. Because Alain Vigneault in New York went, great talent, but he's going to be an incredible AHL player unless some things change. Then he went down to Tampa on a fantastic team and wasn't able to get the assignments to hang with their best 
players and play power play and be all the things that he could have been. He comes here, sure, there's more opportunity, but you got to give him a ton of credit in terms of how hard he has worked now to get to being this player. Guys that didn't make the poll question that people might be upset about, second in the league in goals, Brock Besser didn't make our poll question, well, and uh, neither did teams. the electric second-line winger <laughs> Phil DiGiuseppe. DiGiuseppe. Is he the most underrated player <laughs> in the National Hockey League? You're that ta- forechecking, though. That uh, You're talking about the Miller under Tockett, Grady. Big Head Hockey did a post on this. 40 games now for JT under Tockett. 16 goals, 33 assists, 1.23 points per game, plus 13, plus 16 net takeaways, just under 50% expected goals, 4-5 or five on 5. That's fifth amongst Canucks forward. And as Big Head Hockey points out, Miller and Tockett made for each other. Yep. And I'm not. Tockett was a similar player. I don't think Tockett was quite as offensively gifted no. as Miller was. He's a banger Miller crash is. goal scorer. Yeah, yeah exactly. North, South, yeah. Mm-hmm. And was Bujo really the right disciplinary type no. for JT? I I'm don't not think he sure was. there was a lot of discipline with Bruce. I think with Rick and even Adam Foote and the coaching staff there now, like, mm-hmm. talk it can kind of out alpha JT, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. No, I think you're right. 5 3 win over Florida. And boy, you got to hand it to them. Because you're watching that hockey game, they fir- they get the first goal, they blow the lead. They get two goals in the second period, and wasn't it nice to see them be the better team in the second period? That had been an issue for them this season. You blow the lead in the third, and let's face it, last year's Canucks team, this game would have been lost, right? Or loser point. Yeah, they, they had trouble putting the tourniquet on momentum. Oh, did they ever? But Kuzmenko scores his second of the year, and boy, did he need a big game. Did you see the quote from Talk at Saturday on Kuzmenko? Because we had asked on Friday, we had talked about it a little bit with Jeff, that Kuzmenko, Garland, Beauvillier, Suter, you had some forwards who weren't really all that noticeable and didn't have a lot of bottom line going into Florida. Talk had said of Kuzmenko Saturday, I think he's struggling. He's confused on certain things. The biggest thing is if he moves his feet and he stays closer to his teammates, he'll get out of this. Well, one of three Canucks with the two-point night, Pedersen, Miller, the others. They get two goals from the defense. And both plays were electric, superstar kind of plays, too, to to get his points. Two goals from the defense, Hughes and Susie. And how about Casey DeSmith? I mean, did anybody call him getting the first two Saturday night starts for the Vancouver Canucks this year? And rolling out a 938 save percentage along the mm-hmm. way? Pretty I mean, good. We, we, all, we all knew that when DeSmith got here, that would alleviate some of the pressure on Demko because you were a little more confident on playing DeSmith than you would have been in another scenario with the you know guys like last year, Martin and Delia, but also the youngsters, including Shilov's. So Demko now gets to play tomorrow in Nashville, the last game of this five-game road trip, Blake. They're 3-2. and two. A loser point tomorrow makes it a, an even Steven neutral road trip with five points. And if they get a win, they're ahead of the game. So a lot of things going well. That was a needed win. You know, you would have started wondering. This would have been a much different show in tenor if they're 2-3 and three riding a three-game road trip 
uh, riding a three-game losing streak going into Nashville tomorrow because, as we know, and they do have two X, they have two nights here before the Friday game against St. Louis, but usually the first game back off a long road trip is a tough one. Well, it, it makes the Nashville one house money. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to roast them for being three and three after six games with five straight on a road, mm-hmm. uh, gone for two and a half weeks. Like I, I, I think if you had told people three and three after these six games, people would have signed on the dotted line quite yeah. yep. readily. Because road games are hard to win. You had Edmonton back to back off the start of the year that yeah. everybody thought would be difficult, and. Let's face it, they've caught some decent breaks here in Florida. I mean, they lose the game to Tampa Bay, who play without Vasilevsky, and you know, Florida's playing without Montour and Ekblad, and that has a effect as well on the competitiveness of the opponents here. I saw our friend Frank Saravelli did a story on the new stats portal, NHL Edge. Mm-hmm. Access to player and puck tracking data, player speed, skating data, shot location, detailed goalie data. Did see a few complaints about some of the things there, the navigation, maybe some some error messages mislabel. popping up. Yeah, but One, yeah, but it's going to expand. Like this isn't it. They've got more and more coming. This is an interesting nuance of it. A guy named David Johnson, who's a hockey analyst, used to work with the Flames. His initial thoughts on NHL edge, it's nice, but it could be so much more. Like, why not show percentiles under 50%? Is this to protect below-average players? Are NHL players that sensitive? Feel sorry for the 47th percentile player that just gets listed as below 50th percentile. So I didn't know this nuance of it. You, It's not going to show this guy's in the 23rd percentile. Oh, please. They've grouped them all into just under 50. So as David points out, you could be right on the cusp there at 47th, and you're going to look like the guy who's in the 12th percentile. And I do believe it is. because I would be, I would bet $1,000. It's yeah. <laughs> it's for that reason, yes. Do you remember the All-Star player draft? How they had to give the last pick a car? Right. Because feelings. Their feelings would be hurt. <laughs> like Kessel? Phil Kessel, yeah. Kessel. Just ridiculous. Yeah, so, you know, I think that players need to, you know, even in counting stats, Matt, like, do do we prop up the guy that has four points on the year through 70 games? Like, it's all all there to see. No one just says, he's got less than 20 points. No, he's got four. I can see it. He's got one goal this year, three assists. Why do we, why are we protecting them here? Well, I would bet because the... The intangibles. Well, I, I would. Well, that's not listed there. I, I would bet that they don't want players and agents to take on the methodology. Yeah, maybe. They don't want scrutiny on the formula. Are you counting it appropriately? Remember, the NHL has had an awful time trying to get consistent data rank to rank, and this goes back years. But when hits became a stat on the yep. event. Sheet. Turnovers and giveaways, too. Yeah. Like, you would go into Washington, and Brendan Witt would have 13 hits at the end of the night. Brendan Morrow in Dallas, double digits every exactly. single night. Then you'd go to other barns, and a team wouldn't have 13 hits total. Yeah. And so you would go, okay, so how are they counting hits in Washington versus how they're counting hits? And no, Brendan Morrow on the road would get five hits a game. At home, you get 12. <laughs> Like, if they heard a bang, they'd give right. Brandon Morrow a hit. And it was somebody dropping their briefcase. And then don't get the analytics guy started on shots from distance. 
Yes. Counting feet from the net. Yeah. Because there were wide variances on that as well. So this takes the human error out of it. So it it may well be that they just got to perfect the methodology. I think they'll just protect the feelings. Or they might just protect the feelings. (laughs) Yeah. BC Lions get destroyed Friday at BC Place. You were there. You did the sidelines. Yeah. I was in attendance. And shout out to our friends Dave and Scotty and Shannon and their whole group that came down from Penticton. We know Dave and Scotty and Shannon from Neighborhood, where they are regular. It was great to meet all your friends. And it was a it was a winnable game, like into well, the third quarter. Yeah. They, get, they get the turnover deep in their own territory and then hand the ball right back to the stamps who score moments later it went from 24 10 of hey we got a chance to yes 31 10 okay this game's over 41 16 calgary wins it they get four sacks three interceptions and a fumble bc commits 10 penalties for a buck 17 major fouls galore and calgary runs to 213 yards you don't see a ton of teams crack 200 in the canadian football league for a a rushing total. And in fact, you know, Calgary needed that because it's not like their passing game was scaring the Leos. Very odd stat line for the Stamps. You don't see a ton of this in the CFL at all. 10 of 21, Jake Mayer, for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Well, three dropped balls, though, and mm-hmm. a couple of them were 20-yard oh, yeah. passes. So he probably could have had That's 200 true. if these guys... Actually, just hold on to the ball. Drop balls were have been a thing for the Stampeders all year. I was talking with J.C. Abbott of Three Down Nation on Press Row. He was like, it's just incredible. You watch Stampeders games. How many catchable balls get dropped? And there were two or three of the first half, Blake. Mm-hmm. Dane Evans takes over for Vernon Adams, who, let's face it, let's face it, whatever MOP hopes he had, I think, went down the drain Friday. And frankly, better off resting that ailing knee than pushing him in a game that wasn't likely to mean anything. And sure enough, we now know it is Saturday, November 4th. The Lions will host the West Semi against these same Calgary Stampeders. It's a 3.30 kickoff. Tickets are on sale already. Matthew Betts breaks Brent Johnson's sack record by a Canadian, gets his 18th sack of the season. Brent Johnson with a recorded message congratulating Betts, Ben Hladek, incidentally, of UBC and Vernon. Cracks 100 tackles, first Canadian to do that with the Lions. In fact, I went to the UBC Regina football game on Saturday. Saw some of Ben's old teammates with the Thunderbirds. Uh, And um, caught up a little bit with uh, Brent Johnson, who said he would have loved to have been there, but it was his wife's birthday. and They had big plans. Yes. um, But fantastic uh, season from Betts. And Blake, uh, hot take here. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they lost intentionally because players and coaches are competitors and they go out there to win. But I think they're A-OK with losing this game. It means a two-week layoff. Remember, if they had... Three weeks. If they, a, yeah. I mean, it wasn't likely to happen, yeah. but it was they were staring down the barrel of three weeks if yeah. it was the West Final. It meant Winnipeg playing two meaningless games, and they did get a win against Edmonton on Saturday. So it would have been moot anyway. Yeah. So it's two meaningless games, and then it's a two-week break for Winnipeg. Yeah. So so it's going to be a month between a real sharpened edge competitive situation for the Bombers. Yeah, it's really weird. And yeah. I, you know, I don't I'm not sure Rick Campbell would admit that, but I think he's a okay with that. You know what? 
let them go out and go through the motions twice. And never mind. And then have to sit for two weeks. Do you remember how jumpy Wally would get during that? Yeah. And and Wally knows it probably better than any coach in league history. And frankly, with good reason, because he has had some super teams, both here and in Calgary, that hosted that West Final and got upset by a team that was riding momentum. Well, and then you're just into the age-old rust versus rust thing of do you want to actually play in the semifinal to to keep that mm-hmm. that sharp edge, right? So um, it's it's that plus-plus for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. So. Whitecaps, you miss two penalties. You still get a draw against LAFC, but it doesn't help you a lick in the standings. You finish sixth. You will face LAFC in the first round, a best of three of the MLS playoffs. Saturday, 5 p.m. at LAFC is game one. And then eight days away after that, Blake, Sunday, November 5th, 4.30 at BC Place for game two. Incidentally, if the Vancouver Whitecaps had won, guess where they would have finished? Sixth place. Yeah, because uh, Everybody all the games around them went the wrong way. Went the wrong way. So, including Real Salt Lake getting a win, which would have been the one team that you were looking or hopeful to catch. They were the most likely team to catch. Uh, Richie Larea with his best game as a white cap and assist, and he drew both penalties. They announced the new two-year contract extension for Vanny Sartini. He had alluded to it with us last Monday when we had him on the show. And a season-high crowd of 25,146. And I got to say, I was very pleased to see the community reward the Whitecaps and come out for this big match. Because, frankly, they have been a much better team and a much more entertaining team than their attendance this year would suggest. Look, I'll say it because I know know you work for Apple and MLS season pass. Next year, they have to get more afternoon starts. For the Whitecaps, when you're starting at 7.30 each and every game. I mean, look, this was the 6 o'clock game, and look at the crowd that came out. I'd be a, I would be blown, and I have no inside information. This is not a report, but I would be blown away if they stayed at 7.30. I would be blown away. Well, I, I, I think it behooves Axel Schuster and the club to go to MLS and go to Apple and say, look, that didn't work for us. This but there's year. local and national considerations here. You're basically saying by starting the game at 7.30, we don't need the Eastern Conference to look at you. And we don't need families. Because yeah. you've made it a very tough go for people with young children, particularly if it's a weekday game. But don't you want people to watch a New York Red Bulls game and then tune into an LA Galaxy game? Like, Isn't that how they want it in their mind? Well, look, I, I would have to think, we talked about this at the beginning of the year when we saw the schedule and went, what, 7.30 every game except for the first game at home, which was like a Saturday afternoon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't remember. And then this last one on Decision Day where everybody kicked off at the same time. We talked about it at the start. Vancouver is probably, again, I'll Blake, I'll say it, it's probably the lowest priority market for Apple. It's a Canadian market on the West Coast. So it's got two things going against it. Yeah. You know, not to mention it's not like the club has an illustrious MLS history or anything like that either, nor any kind of star players. And in fact, they've been quite clear about the fact that, you know, they're probably not going to have these big, huge name, globally known DPs going forward. So anyways, 
And you were telling me you've heard more uh, pushback from the players on a best of three in the opening uh, round. I think, well, so that was game 49 of the season for LAFC. Wow. So if they go on a run here, they're going to be well above 50 games by the time they make MLS Cup. Whitecaps fans are going to hope they don't have that stat. But even the Whitecaps, that was game 44 of the season. Well, Vanny said to us, we went to a kind of a, a Christmas party, a holiday a reception with the Whitecaps last December. And we were chit-chatting with Vanny, and he had a number in mind. He said, I hope to play like 57 or something like that or 58. And we're like, like hold on, Vanny. You play 34 in the regular season, and then he outlined all the other right. games. And, 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 and if we do this, and if we do this. and Well, Blake, this will these will be games five and six against LAFC this season. Yeah. In the postseason. That's an awful lot of games. I mean, you're past hockey at that point. You're into baseball in terms of the number of head-to-heads. I'll say so, this. The good thing about this best of three is this, is that, you know, could the Whitecaps go down and get shellacked at LAFC in game number one? Sure, but it's not aggregate. That's it's not best, aggregate. That's the best part. So it, you just flush it. You come back home and you try to take care of business. And they got to win at LAFC this year. Right. But it, So even if LAFC avenges that one, mm-hmm. are they gonna do, they're they not going to shellack the Whitecaps twice at home. I, I couldn't you see that. Think. So as long as you can hold serve, uh-huh. you get game three back down and I've seen a chance to to recreate Mm -hmm. the 3-2 win that they got earlier this season. So that is the part I do love and hate about aggregate, is that if you get shellacked in the opener, the second one's a dead branch. Eliminates all drama. Now, the other thing we should uh, let you know about this, it is straight because you need a result, and you you can't have ties in a best of three. In the tie sport, you can't have one here. Sport with ties cannot deliver ties in round one because of a best of three format. So you go... Straight to penalties after 90 minutes. Which, given the drama we just saw, Crepeau getting in the head of Ryan Gold, and he was well above board with that. He said, I was trying to get in the head of Ryan Gold. Mm. Yeah, Max is usually pretty like JT Miller. He'll give you the truth as he sees it. Except for his departure from here. (laughs) Not a lot of details on that. No. So, anyways, Saturday, 5 p.m. at LAFC, and then. Sunday, November 5th, BC Place, 4.30. If necessary, Game 3 would be Thursday, November 9th at 7 p.m. Once again, back down in Los Angeles. And and did they just tip their hand again about the regular season scheduling for next year? That that Thursday night affair? Not a 7.30 start. It's a 7 p.m. start. Well, and 4.30 at BC Place. That's good. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's like, you know, they they weren't going to reschedule the games that they had promised all season long were going to be at 7.30. But now with the playoffs, a chance to completely reset the menu. A little bit not suspicious. That's the wrong word. But you know what? A little telling that they didn't go back to it. I sat there and I watched MLS um, scoreboards all year and went, why aren't they playing more afternoon games? It seemed Every Saturday and every Sunday, the games were pushed back as far late as possible. Yeah. I just didn't get it. Especially when the weather turns nice. God, it's a beautiful day at BC Place for a 1 p.m. open roof kickoff on a Saturday or Sunday in July or August. Have one or two on the West Coast. I used to love those games. Have one or two on the West Coast Uh to to get people listening or watching all day long. Exactly. But you don't need, like, there were nights where there was four West Coast games. All at the same time. Didn't, didn't, don't, no. yeah, anyways, first year for Apple. And look, it's been a successful season commercially for MLS. We'll get more into that as the week goes forward. 
but but I would like to think that there's some changes, particularly in this market with start times going forward with Major League Soccer. All right, let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta Bar, a great spot to catch the games throughout the season, the playoffs, and, of course, the place to chill in the offseason. J-Pat will join us, plenty of topics to cover with Jeff. The win in Florida, the poll question, and disrespect for Canucks players around the league. Kuzmanko getting the winner and getting a big game when he needed. The return of Ilya Mikheyev, who makes his season debut. Casey DeSmith in the goaltending. And the uh, Pacific Division. More on that in a second. And welcome, Matt. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including a original NHL expansion era Vancouver Canuck leaving us. And uh, we'll talk some Seahawks and baseball as well later on in the program. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits. And the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That's summer heat with Workshop Spirits. Ombre Margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our peach iced tea. We'll keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog Neighborhood or Workshop Spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. It's still early. Very early. But you've got to like what's going on around the Vancouver Canucks right now. And I don't mean the team itself, although there are some nice developments there too. Rather, the Pacific Division. So we long talked about this summer. Canucks need to jump teams that finished ahead of them last season in order to realize that elusive organizational goal of making the playoffs. That means the Calgary Flames and Seattle Kraken in their own division. I don't think many had the Edmonton Oilers as gettable and again it's stupidly early here but those three teams have four combined wins in 17 games this season edmonton one three and one two regulation losses to vancouver already and will now miss connor mcdavid for one to two weeks with an upper body injury in fact the next game against vancouver in early november who knows if mcdavid's gonna play calgary two three and one Fresh off a destruction at the hands of Detroit Sunday. And Seattle stands at 1-4-1 without injured forwards Brandon Tanev and Andre Burakovsky for extended periods. Oh, and of course, just like last year, Anaheim and San Jose remain dreadful. Look, as we know in BC, you can't make the Stanley Cup playoffs in October, but you sure can play your way out of them. The 3-2 and two Canucks... Even if they lose Tuesday in Nashville, can feel good about their start. Breathe easy about this five-game road trip. Worst case scenario, they go two and three on the trip, three and three overall. Best case scenario, they go three and two on the trip, come home four and two. Again, ridiculously early, but you can't get buried early. Several division foes are in danger of that. The Canucks, for the first time in several years, aren't. That's welcome ad for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email live at 
SecureSomePrice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. On Twitter, I'm at Securus, at Securus and Price. And the welcome at a presentation of Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL. Visit greatclips.com today and find a salon near you. It's uh, it, it's kind of got a setup here. If the if the Canucks can win in Nashville and go 3-2 and two on the road trip, you think about how much airtime or consternation we gave to this road trip when the schedule came out. Like, ooh, a team with a history of tough starts has got this five-game roadie. Like, Well, right down to why didn't Rutherford now be yeah, pulled campaign. the and Gilman yeah. and go straight to the office and in-person campaign. So think about that on the heels of the Whitecaps on a historic seven-game road trip, which you never see in soccer, and they survived that as well. These two right. Vancouver teams staring road trips from hell right in the eye and saying, no, we're going to do it. You know what I think hmm. for next year, just to complete the hat trick here? The Lions should request a road trip where they start in Winnipeg on like a Saturday, play Regina. Maybe do the Atlantic a, touchdown Atlantic. Thursday, <laughs> and then sweep through the next couple of weeks in Alberta before coming home. Four-game roadie. Yeah. Touch all four West Division foes. We want to get rid of weeks it. in there. Uh, we should mention before we get out of here, mm-hmm. um, Soccer Canada has announced the Christine Sinclair send-off games. Oh, good. Officially. Waiting on those. Uh, Victoria, December the 1st, 7.30 start time after what we just discussed. Mm. Um, And Vancouver, December the 5th, 7 o'clock. Both against Australia, so really nice uh, competition as well. And, um, you know, not... uh, it's like that's a brand name bit mm-hmm. of competition as well. So that that's uh, that's a perfect way to do it. BC Place and Starlight Stadium. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Sakaris Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Head down to the Richmond Auto Mall right now. You can head to Applewood's Mitsubishi dealership, Applewood Nissan and Infinity, and check out the fabulous deals they've got right now with interest rates that will absolutely blow your mind. You've heard all the bad news. Well, not so much. How about leasing a 2023 QX50 from 3.49%, the QX60 from 2.99%? Get down to the Richmond Auto Mall right now because it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question, who's more disrespected around the league? Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Elias Patterson, all of the above. Vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. MLS play-ins Wednesday. And we have seen some crazy things from this league in the postseason in the past. I'm talking marathon PK sessions, games in the snow, all sorts of bananas activity around these MLS single game eliminations. We're going straight to PKs after 90 minutes here. Yeah. So I'm just going to take a big swing with the underdog in the West. San Jose, the earthquakes at Kansas City paying plus 360. 
mm. on your Bodog line of the day. Here he is, Rinkwide Chef Patterson, our Canucks reporter, fresh off covering a 5-3 win against the Florida Panthers Saturday night alongside Chris Faber, who made his Rinkwide debut. Jeff, good Monday to you. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, we had a lot to talk about, obviously, on Saturday night. And you know, I, I think, I, I don't want to oversell it, but when you see what's happening around the Canucks in the early going here in the Pacific Division, if they lose that game in Florida, and for a long chunk of the third period, it felt like it was getting away from them. Mm-hmm. They drop below 500, they lose three in a row, all of a sudden they have to roll into Nashville at the end of the trip and try and salvage the road trip. And we've seen in years gone by, you fall below 500, and it is just such a tough, tough climb. And so, again, I, I don't want to make more than game number five of the season, but I just think the optics were there for the Vancouver Canucks when they were bending big time in that third period. And for Kuzmenko to respond a minute and two seconds after Sam Reinhart ties the game, that turns out to be the winner and Brock Besser into an empty net. So all things considered, not a perfect performance. I'm not sure that the opening night was pretty close. But other than that, uh, you know, there's still things to work on. But it was pretty damn important, I think, for the Canucks to get out of Sunrise with two points. I'm 100% with you. I was sitting there watching it in the third period, thinking to myself, and we use a phrase around here, games change everything. Um, you know, two and three, oh, we have to contemplate now, another shitty October. And yet, Jeff, I saw your tweet yesterday, and I've been observing it myself night to night, checking box scores. Incidentally, isn't it great to check box scores? Mm. I, that's one of my favorite things upon a new season is looking at the box scores, looking at who's playing, who's scoring, all that. Anyways, checking the box scores, and you tweeted about it. Four wins from the 17 teams directly above them in the West last no, year. Calgary. No, no. Well, four, four wins from the 17 games that those three teams have right. played. Yeah. Yeah. Calgary, Edmonton, Seattle, two, three, and one for the flames. They lose last night. Edmonton one, three, and one. Now McDavid's hurt. And who knows? He may not even play against the Canucks on November 6th and Seattle, one, four, and one. They've already lost Brandon Tanoff and now Burakovsky going to miss six to eight weeks. You know, the optimist would look at that, Jeff, and say some things are falling in place here for the Vancouver. At the very least, it's a head start, right? You know, like it it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything, uh, you know, for over the course of the next month. But if you said, hey, but, you know, the Canucks will get spotted a five-point lead on Team X, you'd probably take it. And they're, they're getting spotted a lead right now. Well, and I think you just have to go back to last year and ask the Canucks, how tough is it to overcome a really difficult start? It is a, it's a slog. And to think that like, Seattle finished with 100 points last year, guys, just do the math right now. Like, that's 18 games over 500. Well, if you slip three games below 500, now you've got to play 21 games over 500 to get to that 100-point mark, and yet you've burned off a a handful of games. So, again, I'm not sure that a lot of people thought Seattle would be a 100-point team, and maybe we could have expected a little bit of a step back, but they can't score goals. As you point out, Matt, a couple of key injuries already, and now this McDavid situation in Edmonton, like they're already up in arms with one win in five games, and now 97's out for at least a week, and maybe more. The Oilers are here on November the 6th, and that's their second and final visit to Vancouver. So that's two weeks from today. We'll see if he's patched up and ready to go. But uh, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have? I suppose maybe it forces some other guys that are off to slow starts there to step up in McDavid's absence. Whatever the case, 
yeah, I mean, the Canucks are holding their own at three and two, and some of those teams around them absolutely scuffling out of the starting blocks. So uh, whether it's just the Canucks record in a vacuum or what's happening in the division, uh, certainly a more competitive start for the Vancouver Canucks in relation to the playoff pack than at this time a year ago. If anybody flinched on Phil Giuseppe on the second line, I wonder what they're thinking now because uh, he continues to perform, and it's not like it's an unsustainable act that he's doing he's not dangling around guys he's not he's just doing what they were hoping he would do which is kind of meat and potatoes work to open up space and and provide loose pucks for the other two guys and it's just working jeff phil di giuseppe looks like he's going to be a vancouver canuck well and as long as phil kessel's out of the league can we now call him phil the thrill because <laughs> I, I and i've only scratched the surface guys on this nhl edge the player stat tracking right. that has now been released but Phil Giuseppe has reached the highest speed of any Vancouver Canuck at, at any point this season in a game in Philadelphia where it didn't feel like anybody was skating particularly quickly. But Phil Giuseppe, uh, tenths of a uh, percentage point ahead of Sam Lafferty, who we do know has some speed to burn. But Giuseppe used his speed to get in on the four check, as you said, uh, you know, and that was a huge, obviously, it leads to the winning goal. But just the response that the Canucks need, even if they don't score there, it was a good response shift. But get in, peel the puck off the boards, get it to Kuzmenko. And Andre Kuzmenko finished what was a really strong make for him even to that point. But uh, yeah, I, look, I was among the doubters. Count me, I'll put my hand up right now. I just didn't think on a on a good team that Phil Giuseppe had a role in the top six. But he is certainly playing to his strengths. We know the co- coach absolutely loves the player, but also what the player represents and all the board battles and the wall work and just keep it easy, you know, eliminate the mistakes and play that North-South game. And I think he can continue to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I want to dig into the, the player stat tracking a little bit further, but I, I thought it was fascinating. He would have been down my list, quite frankly, if I had to guess who had reached peak speed among Vancouver sure. to this point in the season. But uh, Phil Giuseppe at uh, 22 and a half miles an hour racing through the neutral zone in that game against the Flyers. It's the perfect compliment to the other two players. So we know Besser's not going to go in on the forecheck and be that guy who digs the puck out. Miller can do it, but I think you'd prefer him being the second the shooter. Yes, right? Exactly, uh, the yeah. Right. And, and then, uh, you know, in terms of speed, he's got enough of it that he's able to uh, compensate for Besser on the other flank. And, and that line is quick enough. Um, we'll see how it goes. But yeah. He's been a marvelous, a marvelous addition um, to what they're doing under Rick Tockett this season. We talked on Friday, Jeff, just we were starting to get a little bit worried about some of those forwards and the production or lack thereof. What did you make of Kuzmenko on the weekend, who uh, obviously gets the game-winning goal? And with Ilya Mikheyev making his debut, uh, give me your assessment of that line going forward. Yeah, and look, Rick Tocchi talked about it after the game, and I would agree. I, easily his best game. The bar was pretty low through the first four, but the goal is the winner, so that kind of steals all the shine. But how about the spinning backhand pass onto the tape of Elias Patterson? Mm. And, you know, when Kuzmenko arrived here in Vancouver, we were told, like, this guy's got incredible playmaking chops, but, you know, we saw all those goals, the 39 goals last year, and kind of got drunk on that, but... Uh, there was some playmaking there, but beyond that, guys, he also draws the penalty that leads to the Carson Soucy goal, standing his ground in front of the net. Oliver Ekman Larson has to put his stick on Kuzmenko, and so it's a goal. It's an assist. It's drawing a penalty by spending time in the offensive zone, and, and those were some of the things that didn't happen in Tampa, even though he spent most of his night in the offensive end. There was no tangible takeaway. 
he was able to convert the zone time into good things happening for him and the hockey club on Saturday. And I do wonder if there's a direct correlation to getting his buddy Mikheyev back and just kind of having that extra hop in his step because whatever the case, and look, Mikheyev kind of eased into it 13 minutes of ice time, almost all at even strength. And I think that's the the way you want to work a guy back after nine months off and knee surgery. But it just, it kind of felt like maybe McKay McKayev did get an assist, but maybe his biggest assist on the night was just breathing a little bit of life into Andre Kuzmenko because uh, they were good and he was good. And, you know, now he can't go back into hiding. That's the thing. He's got to follow that up with another performance like that on Tuesday night in Nashville. And I'll never understand why sometimes that does happen. You're right, guys. Just go back and but when you know, okay, all I have to do is that. And then I get that as a return. You'd think you'd just go out and do it every single time. And and I, I've got some hope that, that Kuzmenko has got that awareness of, of what is required. And every game is going to roll out a little bit differently, some more physical than others. But, uh, hey, I suspect in a game versus the Nashville Predators, I mean, that's not a, uh, that is not the best version of the Nashville Predators that we have seen. Uh, the opportunity is there now for the Vancouver Canucks to finish this road trip strong, start this next five-game set. We know coaches like to win those five-game sets. Start it with uh, with a win. And, and again, now you've tucked in five road games under your belt if they can win uh, against the Nashville Predators. And you've got the home schedule laid out before you. My goodness, um, this is a very different outlook for the Vancouver Canucks than last year, if they can, especially if they can get this Preds win. Yeah, and they have a chance now to go into Nashville, rested, full team day off here on Monday, and they get to throw the race at the Nashville Predators. And I think that was absolutely the right call on Saturday. Casey DeSmith, I thought it was a little tidier than the game in Edmonton. There's still some moments there, but maybe that's who he is. I'm not going to sit here and say, I've got the full book on, on Casey DeSmith, but the guy's 2-0. And has started two of the first five games, and I was one of those guys that thought they were going to lean on Demko, ride him hard early without the back-to-backs, but now you've got a conference opponent. Not that the Florida game was a throwaway, but the Nashville game, Nashville's probably a team that you're going to be battling with for much of the season. They finished just outside the playoffs last year as well. They lean on their goaltender, UC Saros, and obviously they've had changes there with Barry Trotz coming in and, and Andrew Brunette behind the bench. So maybe a different team. We'll see how it all plays out. But now you've got a rested and refreshed Thatcher Demko. And instead of this fear of overplaying your number one guy, you're getting quality starts, but more importantly, you're getting victories from Casey DeSmith. And so with back-to-backs at the end of this week when they get home, yeah, there's a pretty good chance now that Demko won't have to play both of those. It's like you could probably give him one of those nights off, go to DeSmith, feel pretty good about the way that he's going to perform, and you know take it from there. But that's for later in the week right now. It's with Nashville. But all I know is that you know, we used to say arrested Jacob Markstrom is a better Jacob Markstrom. And I think the same thing applies to any workhorse goaltender. And so that's really encouraging that they're above 500, that they haven't had to rely on Demko when he's been in there. He's been really good. And so has Casey DeSmith. So uh, in that third period, DeSmith under siege. I know he gave up two, but ultimately he didn't give up that third one. And that allowed the Canucks to go and well, he gave up the third goal of the night, but not in that period. And ultimately the Canucks is able to pull out a victory. So uh, I like the way the coach... And the coaching staff, because I would include Ian Clark in that discussion, I like the way they handled their goaltenders here uh, through these first five games. Should they healthy scratch Quinn Hughes? He was on the ice for a goal. Yeah, that is concerning. That's a, that's yeah. a troubling trend because uh, <laughs> those first four games. Now, I mean, it's an incredible statistic. And uh, credit Thomas Drance has been following that one and charting it along. And, uh, you know, you knew the longer it went that the more sort of uh, steam that statistic was going to pick up, but that is remarkable that it took until the third period of the fifth game of the season for a guy that plays almost half of these games. So 
he was so good. Uh, we spent a lot of the post game rink quiet on Saturday. I know that the market has talked about him a lot. Rick Tockett spent a bunch of his post game remarks. Uh, he just his command of that game and, and beyond scoring a power play goal, which is rare for him. Uh, but six shots on goal, 10 shot attempts. And, and just, you know, everybody's marveling at that keep in at the blue line and the things that that guy does. And I've said this before that within two feet of the blue line, I'm not sure I've ever seen a better player, uh, his confidence. And it's such a high leverage part of the ice. If you make a mistake in that area, quite often other guys going the other way on a breakaway, but he's just so supremely confident in his skills and abilities. And so to keep plays alive and, um, there was a play in the second period and it, it was pretty innocuous, but I, when he's on, he's just such a, a marvel to watch. And he went back to retrieve a puck in his own zone, you know, turned to his right, turned to his left, shook a defender and started up ice. And it looked so easy, but if it was easy, everybody in the league would do it. And it's just second nature to him because that's what he's always done. And he was just so on top of his game the other night. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch, and it's uh, for all the talk around the league or the lack of talk around the league, I, I, I think that talk has to pick up here. And I think that people in Vancouver ought to keep beating this drum that he is among the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. It is wild that he got painted with that brush of can't defend in the all-Canadian division season with no fans in the stands, completely bizarre circumstances on a terrible team. He wasn't good, but neither was the team around him. And all he's done since then is improve. I mean, he's moved to the other end of the spectrum, and yet he is still seen through that lens and painted with that brush. And it's totally unfair because that's not the player he is. This is one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League, hands down. Is he more disrespected league-wide than Miller or Patterson, Jeff? I, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, I Miller's 99 points, I think, changed the view of some. And then Patterson gets to 99 and adds on three more for good measure. I mean, anybody that's putting up 100 points. I think Elias Pettersson really kind of came into the conversation of the Selkie possibilities and, you know, sort of on the fringes of heart conversations last year. So, yeah, I mean, it feels of those three that Quinn Hughes is the last guy to, to sort of get his uh, just desserts around the National Hockey League. I still maintain, though, and I, I, look, I hope someday he gets his hands on a Norris Trophy, but he's in an era of Kale McCarr and Adam Fox and Miro Heiskanen and Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power. I mean, this is truly the golden age of incredible young defensemen. And he could have 10 amazing seasons, but, you know, one of them may never be better than one of those guys that I just mentioned. And that's not a knock on Quinn Hughes at all. He should be in the Norris discussion. I just don't know if he's ever going to put together that one season that, you know, allows everybody league-wide to sit there and say, hands down, this guy was the best defenseman in the National Hockey League this season. Yeah, I think he's going to need team success as well as that fantastic yeah. year, uh, Jeff. We've but I do long, think that we've Eric, long talked about Eric Carlson it, winning it last year has to open some doors in some way, doesn't it? Like if Eric Carlson can win the Norris on a bad San Jose team by putting up a million points, then people are at least open to the idea of a guy like Quinn Hughes doing the things that he does. But I, I, I agree with you. And, mm-hmm. and might Quinn take be, a million points. Quinn, well, Quinn I, would, I, and Quinn I, would be the first to tell you, like, he damn well better see some team success because it's sort of that same conversation around Elias Pettersson. Like, you can only go so long scuffling along here before uh, frustration is going to set in. But uh, he's off to a good start. And, and you know, at 3-2, and two, the team's off to a certainly a much better start than a yeah. year ago. Yeah, uh, Carlson outscored every defenseman by 25 points last year. Yeah. So yeah. I think that was, that was the separating yeah. factor. Yeah. But I, I hear you and I agree wholeheartedly with all of this. Jeff, tomorrow I'll be in with you on Rinkwide against Nashville. And um, 
we get the entirety of the league playing tomorrow, Jeff. Uh, a 6-15 start for us out of Nashville with all these games that are staggered as the NHL goes fully across the league and across your television zone. Yes. in screens. Right. Frozen exactly. frenzy. Can you feel the excitement? <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, game starting at 3 o'clock Pacific time and going until mm-hmm. an 8 p.m. Pacific time start down in Los Angeles, I think it is, or Vegas. Uh, it's been a weird road trip, guys. Uh, you know, the Canucks started in Edmonton. That was the late game on Hockey Night in Canada with opening night for the Oilers. I, I looked, uh, puck dropped at 8.18 local time for that game. Then they went to Philadelphia with the baseball playoffs. That game got bumped up. So that was a 6 o'clock weekday start, 3 o'clock here on the West Coast. Uh, pretty standard down in Florida. But yeah, 6.15. I would imagine that the Canucks have never had a scheduled Six, I mean, they just don't schedule on the quarter hours. So, I, look, I, I'm all for the league trying to do some novel things. And so often on those Saturdays where you have six or seven early games and they all are stacked at four Pacific, like, you know, you flip around the dial between periods. You want to watch some other action? Why not? So, like, if it gets some eyeballs, uh, I'm all for it. And, yeah, 6.15 Pacific time, 8.15 uh, local there in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, to make this happen, they've had to make some accommodations. It was two games yesterday. It's one game yes, today. It's quiet. one game Wednesday, so they're going very quiet around Frozen Frenzy. But I look forward to Frozen Frenzy with you tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff. All right, guys. Thank you. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtag specimen at Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick. Jason, the mortgage, if you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate, you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If you have a mortgage up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. Find him. Jason, Dom Mortgage. Uh, John Bucci Gross from ESPN quote tweeting a BU men's hockey tweet that said, lol, this is just ridiculous from Macklin. <laughs> uh, Bucci goes on to say, more electricity from Macklin Celebrini, all his attributes, speed, hungry for the middle of the ice, relentless and sinister finish. Three point night for the 17 year old as BU finally busts out five, two, and seven in his four college hockey games. That's five goals, two assists, eight. One after two periods at mm. Notre Dame. Yeah, but you said a you know just a middling sort of start in the wins loss column. But uh, Macklin Celebrini, uh, I mean, just is absolutely electric in this uh, in this uh, clip. Uh, right alongside Tom Melander, incidentally, on that particular shift. Um, I mean, this is back to back years that the National mm-hmm. Hockey League is getting absolute buzz saws from North Vancouver. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, no, sure is, um, and. I think we'll be tracking that team all year, but because of the Canucks prospects, not because we're checking in on the number one. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's one-stop shopping, <laughs> we, though, we really. Have been, we have been following potential first overalls for the better part of a decade here, Blake. Yes. So be nice to track a team with an eye towards the prospects, not necessarily the draft eligibles. Uh, the draft eligibles. Yes. At Wyshynski, and this is from yesterday, and folks, as we record this right now, nothing further has been said or administered with Travis Dermott, the former Vancouver Canuck, now member of the Arizona Coyotes, who wore pride tape on Saturday. In fact, he ordered a case of it. Wyshynski been told the Coyotes have not been informed of any NHL punishment to Travis Dermott or the team for his using pride tape. 
was told earlier by the NHL not to anticipate anything from hockey operations on the matter today. That was yesterday. So we shall see if something comes down. Blake, is it possible the league just turtles on this, realizes they would absolutely be on the wrong side of the fallout and does nothing, pretends like it didn't happen? Yeah, I, I, I would bet that nothing happens to Travis Dermott. Mm-hmm. I would bet. Because I, the minute I, something does happen, guess what? They're vilified even more for mm-hmm. this. They only do themselves harm by yep. by coming down hard on Travis I, I think they realize. I think they realize they made a mistake. I think they realize it's cowardly. And I think they realize that perpetuating that mistake is a no-win situation. I I mean I'm prepared to be astounded by their stupidity, but um, but I, I would guess I I also wonder whether and I had this situation as a young reporter in my career with Pat Quinn. The rules mandated that coaches be available on game days. Pat chose to not be available 81 times that year. Mm-hmm. The only time he was available was when they announced the All Star selections because he was the All Star coach. And at the end of the year, the league handed him a huge fine. I do wonder if they're keeping receipts here and if they've got a ledger going and they might do something in the summer when it's quieter. That's possible. People are on vacation. Or they just see how – I mean, I don't think they want NHL players to fully taunt them on this front. Mm -hmm. But if it's as quietly done as Travis Dermott is, it's just kind of present, then I think it'll be fine. Uh, Speaking of rules and – Custom, at the very least, at Russo Hockey, <whistles> Dean Evison's Dean mm. Evison goes full torts on morning skates. Mm. Doesn't make any sense. Dean Evison has gone full torts in this regard. He's saying they're all optionals from here on in. But his point is, is you could be resting. You're going to get your touches and warm up. You get 15 to 18 minutes and warm up where the puck's on your stick to mm-hmm. to shake off the rust of of uh, the last 24 hours. Why do we need to have a morning skate? Um, it has been very split in the hockey community mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. I've heard more and more growing resentment of the morning skate. Mm-hmm. Um, in the word or world of load management, yep. why are they having a mini practice? Why would you Why would you at all even break a sweat in the morning skate, given you've got to play a game that night, much less get yourself out of bed when you could have had a more leisurely morning mm-hmm. to help yourself get ready for well, a game. I think that is part of what inspired the morning skate way back when, is coaches wanted to see who had them a night. The totally, yeah. But, you know, if you're going to be that guy, guess what? That's yeah. going to come out in the wash pretty damn quick in today's day and age. Yeah. NBA teams have two shoot-arounds on game day, morning and the afternoon. And I've heard Sam Mitchell and others say, like, why do we do this morning shoot-around? Yeah. You do want some sort of media, media availability to promote the game. It is probably better ticketed to the morning than the late afternoon in the hours just before. So there's that as consideration as well. And remember, this is the National Hockey League. Like It does not have the promotional power of the NFL or other loops. But yeah, I would not be surprised to see more and more coaches go this way. I mean, you take your turns. Captain and a couple other players made available at noon on the game day. Could do that. Done. And some guys are just going to say, no, I really, really, really like to shake it up. And fine, for those those seven guys, the ice is there if you want it. Mm -hmm. At one football. Real Madrid are planning a 40 million euro bid for Alfonso Davies in the summer per 
the German publication Sportbild, to which everyone in the comments went, only $40 million? Like, is that the starting offer? Is that the down payments? <laughs> which, hey, you're around the Canadian soccer folks more than me. Are we going to see a Davies transfer next year or this year? Uh, are we going to see uh, him change teams after this Bayern Munich season? I'm on the fence, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I can see it both ways in that, you know, he... I don't want to make this sound bad, but I think he's plateaued. Like I, th- I don't, I don't know that mm-hmm. we've seen him get to another level. Well, uh, I um, just wonder from Alfonso's point of view with club football, and he may just love Munich and love the you know coaching staff and administration and his teammates. And if that's the case, Fonzie, fill your boots. But you know, as we know in that loop, it's Bayern Munich and everybody else, right? So you've got a league championship, you've got a European championship. Is it not sort of okay? What's the next test? What's totally. the next challenge? It's a, it's a much bigger challenge. Syria isn't isn't as deep. Uh, sorry, um, La Liga is not as deep as um, the as Premier the Premier League. League, but it's deeper than Bundesliga and yeah. it's deeper than Syria actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he would be curious about it. Um, it, it you know, I I don't know that I quite recognize what Real Madrid's brand was until watching that Beckham documentary mm-hmm. and seeing him hold Real above well, all else. Well, Blake, what about the instructions to the documentary filmmakers? Yes, when he comes down the hallway, please greet him with Mr. President. Yes. The club president has a protocol officer. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's... Of course, this is a page from Samaranch, his fellow Spaniard who uh, liked uh, all the indulgences of being IOC press. But it, I mean, it would be amongst the top five soccer brands in the world. Now, Bayern's not too far off of that either, I wouldn't think. But it, it's in a different context given the strength of the league, I think. So I'm of two minds of it. I, I uh, part of me just wants to see a little bit of a change, although I have enjoyed, you know, Bayern's such a juggernaut in Champions League, which is when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. It's been fun watching him there, too. At Winnipeg, uh, WPG Jets PR. <laughs> Sunday evening, Judy Bonus, wife of Winnipeg Jets head coach Rick Bonus, suffered a seizure and is currently in hospital undergoing further testing. As a result, Rick is taking a leave of absence from the hockey club. Associate coach Scott Arneal is serving as the interim head coach until Rick returns to the team. We ask everyone to respect the family's privacy at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible news. And, uh, you know, we've had such great interactions with Rick over the years in his time as a Vancouver Canucks coach. And, um, yeah, just hope that everybody's going to be doing okay in the bonus household. So One uh, of the reasons why Rick is so beloved and why he continues to get job after job and be a part of staff after staff in the National Hockey League is that his family are extraordinary people. Mm-hmm. And Judy, first and foremost, they um, they lived in our community when I was growing up. As a matter of fact, Blake, Judy Bonus, I'm not sure if you call them campaign managers at this level, but my very first assignment at Carleton J School was go cover a campaign. So I picked one in my community for a counselor, you know, a little itty bitty, you know, town council. And Judy Bonus was effectively the um, campaign manager for this candidate. So I spent a fair bit of time with her. Uh, I know their boys as well. In fact, one was uh, an intern back. Uh, uh, with the CFL team when I was covering that league. Um, Is so, it one of them working in hockey now? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's Ryan, and I believe it's in Pittsburgh, but I stand to be... I thought he was CBJ at one point, but yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but echo your thoughts on Judy and uh, uh, the right call by Rick, because uh, as she completes him, if you will, uh, if you've ever seen the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Steve Ewan. Uh, I was disappointed to see this, but he's a veteran and he's going to beat it again. We have resurrected the Crush the Tumor with Humor blog. You can guess the unfortunate reasons, though. Cancer has returned for a third time. Prognosis seems good. Radiation starting next week with BC Cancer, and we certainly wish Steve luck. Not that he needs it as a two-time winner over cancer. Of course, the fine reporter with the province and son. Steve was a huge help to me a few years back when I found myself in hospital so let's hopefully all rally behind steve for a third time a third bout with cancer and including reading the crush the tumor with humor blog well and after talking with rick bonus and what a great guy he's been with us i mean honestly if you find fault in anything steve ewan has ever done um i let me know because i don't think it's happened he's about the nicest guy on the planet right and uh lastly here from me at canucks alumni dunk wilson who registered vancouver's first ever shutout and their NHL history has passed away at the age of 75 in Utila, Honduras, where he had been living no kidding. for many years. Condolences to the family and friends of Dunk. Uh, selected in the expansion draft from Philadelphia. He's actually still in the top 10 for Canucks all-time games played by a goaltender. He's ninth with 148. He was the backup to an aging Charlie Hodge when the Canucks first entered the NHL. Like... Poor guy. The first year record, 325 and 2. They were not a very good team in the expansion era, but he became the starter thereafter and uh, only seated the crease when uh, Gary Suitcase Smith came in in 1973. You got the first Canucks shutout in that inaugural year? One of those three wins was a uh, shutout? It would, it would, it would appear. That, <laughs> well, Blake, put it this way the, if he didn't get a shutout, it didn't sound like they were winning right, any right. games. Yes, good point. Uh, anyways, our condolences to the Canucks alumni and, of course, the family and friends of Dunk Wilson. And that's hashtags for today. So here's some price from Wall Center presentation. Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's a great clips text message inbox. Great clips. It's going to be great. As uh, one of our listeners did for errors and omissions here coming up in a moment. First, I mean, an ugly duckling win for the Seattle Seahawks yesterday over a really terrible Arizona Cardinals football team. I guess there's two ways to look at it that really you squeaked by one of the worst teams in the league the second way is you're minus three in the turnover department and you won the football game with your quarterback not looking very good two turnovers for Geno um including interception wrong part of the field Kenneth Walker with an old school game for a running back Blake be still my heart 26 carries 105 yards because Charbonnet the rookie backup wasn't able to go Witherspoon with another hit. Boy, if you're gonna show if you're gonna throw that little stop route or that little swing route to the wide receiver and the ball's a half second late, Witherspoon is coming. Showing why he's the fifth overall pick in the draft. And 
Jamal Adams has looked great in that three-safety look, which is almost their base defense now since coming back from injury. Four sacks, just 249 yards allowed by Seattle. And they get some help in the division with Pittsburgh going to L.A. and beating the Rams. And incidentally, did you hear that crowd? I mean, that was a Steelers crowd. Again, L.A. and Vegas now effectively play road games at home against the national opponents. Well, certainly Vegas. Was, and the Chargers. Was, and the Chargers. No, but, but I'm saying in, in, in Vegas, it was eminently predictable. And, and, yeah, and, well, and we said this. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, while they have a, a burgeoning population there, and I don't even know if it's still as fast growing as it once was, um, it's, it, you know, it's very transient. People, Most transient people, community in America. They move in, they move out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got the tourists that are all, always, always there. there. Um, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we all guessed, you know, even on a big stadium like that, minimum 25% well, are going to be from the opposition. And like, here's the thing. When the Golden Knights eventually hit a down cycle competitively, That's they are going to rely on fans from other teams as well. Yeah. Anyways, I, don't think the Seahawks will get help tonight from Minnesota against San Francisco, but we shall see. The difference in the Golden Knights, by the way, though, it's one of 82. It's not as special. Mm-hmm. If it happens to align with your trip to Vegas, great. But one of 17 NFL games, is it's a big deal. So to plan a game around, uh, a trip around that makes a lot more sense than to go down to Vegas, and Washington, t- And typically, you know, a weekend game, Sunday, right? Yeah. I know yeah. they play some. Thursday and Monday nights. So Seattle improves to four and two. And look, I don't think Geno Smith is in for a repeat of his sensational season last year, but the team around them, I suspect, is better. So we'll see how they go. Um, we'll, we'll see how they go uh, throughout the season here. Uh, home to Cleveland next week. And boy, was that a football game between Cleveland and Indianapolis. I got to say, it was the first NFL weekend where I sort of made an effort to, wow, there's a couple of really good-looking games here. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch these things. And about 20 minutes into watching Baltimore and Detroit, I had moved on to the Pats-Bills game. Ravens absolutely annihilate the Lions. And then the Sunday nighter was good. Not necessarily great. Some officiating in that one is, Wow. So Philly gets the W, and then there were five one-win teams playing this week, and four of them got a second win. Chicago, Denver, New England, and the Giants all moved to two victories on the season. Arizona was the only one-win team that lost. So you got winless Carolina, you got one loss Arizona, then everybody else has at least two wins. And, of course, no undefeated teams, and... Not even a lot of one-loss teams in the NFL. You got 6-1 Kansas City, you got 6-1 Philadelphia, and you got 5-1 San Francisco. Has there ever been a pending tonight? But that Kansas City team, Mm -hmm. they look really beatable. (laughs) They look more beatable than in previous years. Their record makes them still look like the same old Chiefs, Mm -hmm. but they look really beatable. Adam Schefter. The ultimate NFL insider, and this is why he gets paid the big bucks. In the four games, Taylor Swift has been attending in attendance. Travis Kelsey averaging 108 receiving yards. In the game she's missed, averaging 46 and a half. Taylor, he needs you there. 
You're the good luck charm. And incidentally, did you see she now has a special handshake with Brittany Mahomes? Yes, I did see wife that. Wife of Patrick Mahomes. But you know what? I, I saw Victor Oladipo, uh, National Basketball Association player, mm-hmm. um, had a really interesting and and I thought quite adorable Instagram post on this. Um, he basically is like, find somebody that lifts you up, like like, like Taylor lifts up Travis. Like he he's like he sounded legit, not jealous in in a mean way, but jealous like good for him. He's got he's got the good stuff, you know. Like it, it, yeah. it's it was a very real um, opinion from a guy who probably knows the um, the difficulty of being a famous person, and he's, and I'm sure seen some famous couples in his years in the NBA. Yeah, and and, and it's not all healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not all positive, but from at least our perspective, and, and he says that he says publicly. Uh, he looks like you know she looks like she's lifting him up but he says i you know i i would guess that behind the scenes it's even more so so mm-hmm. um yeah i but we got warned last week stop talking taylor and i think we we talked about it like twice on the show so i hope that that, that listener doesn't get uh angry that we're bringing it up again no we brought but, it back only because uh there's now a uh a statistical story around yeah, it. Yeah, sample size is bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Travis, yeah. the, the Taylor effect has got you know more teeth behind it. And this caught my eye as well. John Boyce, the creative director of SB Nation during the Eagles-Dolphins game last night, and of course all the discussion that was going on in the broadcast about the Eagles and their uh, tush-push uh, short yardage play with the quarterback. Boyce tweets, 150 years into American football. What if we push each other's butts? <laughs> I do think you're going to see this play eliminated. Uh, there was another entry last week, I want to say, to a defensive player. Uh, you're, there's already a pyramiding call in American football. You can't like use somebody to propel yourself momentum-wise. I, I And I think you're hearing more and more people talk about that's a rugby play, not a football play. I don't think this play is for long. Yeah. But the Eagles have employed it and employed it successfully, and now you're seeing other teams around the league use it as well. Although, you know, the, the ruck has always been used. I mean, even in the Lions game. Well, I, if it's subtle, like, but it's not subtle anymore. No. Like, you've got two guys who are propelling the ment- momentum of the quarterback and not exactly to the uh, comfort of the linemen and those who are on the bottom of the pile. So, you know, plus I, I just I don't think you should be able to propel somebody in football. You've got a ball carrier for a reason. Yeah, you're allowed to block for him. Like what? What's is there? Is there something in the rules to stop two guys from throwing a running back over the pile? Like actually hurdling a guy over the pile? It's <laughs> a good question, Blake. Like I said, there's a pyramiding rule. Right, I would but have to that, get that, into the. That's a more about climbing a human mountain more than it is about actual propulsion. Mm-hmm. But you got your two tight ends that collapse in a big in a big setup on the one. You just throw Kenneth Walker over the pile. Why not? And there's a rule about tandem blocking. There's a rule about pyramiding. Yeah, I would have to look yeah, more into that. Yeah. I sure hope not. Because <laughs> the NFL is about to get really weird if the, if that's not all, a rule. All, all those great up and over goal line touchdowns over the years, Walter Payton and others who made it uh, artistry. Who knew? You could just get a couple of guys to throw. Get the lightest guy in the field, give him the ball, and throw <laughs> and him. Just throw him as, hard, as high and far as you can. Uh, I know you said you had given up on the baseball playoffs. 
Jeff Passon on Friday, hell of a day of baseball. And it sure was with two comeback victories from the Astros and Diamondbacks. Uh, Alas, the weekend wasn't quite as compelling. But hey, you get two games tonight, including one, the first deciding game of this postseason, right? Finally got to a deciding game. Well, in this case, game seven, we would have taken a deciding game three or game five. And it happened in the earlier rounds. And who knows? Arizona wins tonight. You could get an NLCS game seven as well. Max Scherzer in his ERA of 11.25 going to the bump. Mm-hmm. But at his age and his experience with the injury he had earlier this year, you you do wonder whether... Oh, there could be a Mona Lisa in there. Yeah, I, exactly. Who knows? If he's got one more. And boy, I, I'm going to sit down and watch this game seven tonight alongside Monday Night Football. And I sure hope we are looking at starting pitchers who have been given a little bit of length and rope. Well, Aaron Nola. I, I doubt so. Nola in particular with the postseason well, he's having. My yeah. goodness. Let uh, him run. Uh, please, no Jose Barrios decisions in this game from either side. Yeah. Nola with 19 Ks in the playoffs already. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Bodog poll question results from Friday. And we got good voting on this poll. It's the best course of action with Tyler Myers. Cut his ice time. Healthy scratch. Leave him be. Trade. What did the people say? Um, reduced ice time. Correct. Percentage? 38. 32. Oh, wow. Pretty balanced really tight. Yeah. Cut his ice time got 32. Trade got 28. Healthy Scratch got 26. Leave him be got 13%. Wow. Ken, I think you have to sit him for at least one game. Look what Taka did to Kuzmanko last season. You can't have different rules for different players, and Myers' errors are so egregious. Then play him on the wing and keep him out of the D zone or at least take him off the penalty kill. But one thing I'll say, Ken, is pro sports, not a democracy. There are different rules for different players. Now, typically it's star players who get different rules, and Myers is hardly that. But A veteran defenseman, though. He'll get the longer leash. Ocean Park Nancy, shout out Nancy, needs to be on the third pair. Too much ice time for him is not good. Uh, Pacatrol, they'll they do anything to him. They risk pissing him off. They risk pissing off his agency. Same agency represents Petey. Yeah, fair enough. A.B. Collard, I wish you would come out and say my contract sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. And then Darren says, just get him off the PK. He can't defend those cross-ice passes. Cut his ice time actually came third on YouTube. Did it, it really? Trade, healthy, scratch, cut his mm. ice time. Errors and omissions from, yesterday's, or from th- Friday's program and beyond – Who's the listener who uh, texted in? Correct me on the Lions opener. Uh, it would be Dave in well, Surrey. Well done, Dave. Yeah, I said it was the Stamps, uh, the game against the Stamps uh, after LL Cool J. That was the game against the Elks. My bad. It was, in fact, uh, two years in a row against Edmonton in the uh, opener concert game. Uh, Teddy Bluger not on the trip. And then Foster Moreau, the tight end from the New Orleans Saints, who dropped the would-be game-winning touchdown pass Thursday. We mentioned he was in tears on the bench. And, you know, while it's not uncommon to see a player emotional and a on the sidelines or in a dugout after a huge team loss, it's not typical for a, an individual heir. There is some context here. Moreau is a cancer survivor. Hodgkin's lymphoma, he beat it to come back and resume his NFL career. So, you know, there was a storybook ending right there in his fingertips that – Contributed contextually to the emotion that we saw from him after Thursday night football. 
Grady, if that's it, we'll move on to Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Well, to resurrect uh, an old meme from our shows of yesteryear, there's only one time a year, Matt, where I can say, let's go to Basel. And today's that day. I would have thought you have a calendar event for Basel. You just did, my phone blows up. Yeah. Yeah. That like tennis a, is a reminder. To Basel. The Basel tennis tournament is a week away. Get your picks in. <laughs> Felix Ogielli is seeming doubles. This is doubles from Basel. He's with uh, Mr. Corda. Mm. And they're dogs. Doubles in Basel. Boy. Plus we're, 230 uh, on the Canadian. We're uh, kind of reaching here. Are you kidding me? This is my wheelhouse. Basel. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social media, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors here is talking about. Keep it local.